Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hope. I love saying that. It means a couple different things. It means welcome to our church. We're so glad you're here. But it also means welcome to the hope that is available in and wrapped up inside the person, the work, the life, the teachings, and the presence of Jesus. There is a hope that is available through that connection with God through Jesus that is different from any other hope that's offered anywhere in our world today. And one of our goals in this church is to be so full of that hope that it squishes between our toes when we walk and it just splashes onto every person around us. In fact, uh, Jessica and I have been in a survivor kick right now. So we're watching some of the older survivor seasons that we haven't seen before. And there was a recent tribal council where Jeff Probst, the host, was just soaked. I have a picture of one of the survival moments, but he was so wet. If you saw the show, it was pouring off of him. And while we were watching it inside, I thought to myself, that's us. That's exactly what I want our church to look like. We want to be so drenched in the hope of God that it just splashes onto every person that gets close to us and gets them wet. <laughs> and, and, and so I'm so glad you're here, and I hope you're feeling that today. I hope you're sensing a sense of hope and grace and life and love and peace. And how many of you love our children? How many of you love our elementary school kids? I want to welcome all of you. I'm so glad that you're with us. Um, it's very intentional on our part to keep the kids with us during worship, I was very fortunate. I grew up in a church uh, that, that had moments in worship that impacted my life. There's, there's something about being in a setting where people are thanking and praising and worshiping God that, that can be impacting. And you, you can't manufacture a moment, but we want our children worshiping with us when those moments happen. And so I know it makes it tight with the seating here, having our kids with us, but we always want them in worship and then we're just going to experiment on these fifth Sundays. We're going to experiment and see what that's like keeping them here. I know that the younger students here might not track with everything I'm saying. So those of you that are in elementary school, did you get your notes when you came in? You should all have a little clipboard and your notes that will help you track along with, with um, what I'm going to talk about today. But we love you, and we're so glad that you're here. And also, part of why we want them with us on these fifth Sundays is we want to offer communion to the kids. So here at Hope, we receive communion, the bread and the cup, on the first Sunday of the month. But there's about two or three months where there's a fifth Sunday. And so on that fifth Sunday, we're going to move communion to that morning so that we can offer that to our children. So, of course, you parents or grandparents or guardians, you'll manage how you explain that to your kids and if you want them to participate. But we want to make that available. So I'm um, glad that you're here. So we have been doing a series right now uh, in the new year, and I'll conclude the series today called My Three Best Friends. And we've been dissecting the mission statement of this church. The mission of this church is to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. And that trio of friends, faith, love, and hope, shows up all throughout the New Testament. I mean, most famously, it shows up in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And you all know this passage. It says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. 
Um, it also shows up in 1 Thessalonians 1-2 where, where it says, We remember your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we're tearing apart this mission statement so we can ingest and absorb and become these virtues a little bit more. So a few Sundays ago, I talked about what it means to live by faith. Last Sunday, Isaiah, who's up with our students right now at camp, he did an incredible job talking about um, being known by love. And last Sunday, uh, Jessica and I watched a documentary that embodied the idea of being known by love. There's a new Mother Teresa video that's come out called No Greater Love. Have you, have you, I don't know if you've heard of the documentary, but one person. And I love the red hair, Claire. I have a thing for redheads. So. My wife and daughter have red hair. Um, you, you've heard of Mother Teresa, at least, right? If you've not heard of the documentary. I want to play the trailer for you. I thought about just summarizing a little bit of what it means to be known by love. I think this documentary will, will do justice to the idea. Uh, you, you're going to feel something just on this 60-second documentary of what it means to live by faith and be known by love and to be a voice of hope. So um, we, can, we can dim the lights and show that trailer. I want to be a missionary to go out and give the life of Christ to the people in the missionary countries. She was a small, tiny, bent woman, but she had a commanding presence. You could feel an aura about her. An aura not of power, an aura of simplicity and holiness. She made a remarkable vow to God never to refuse him anything or to give him whatever he would ask. She was strong. She was firm. She was uh, a tough cookie. She was tough in Jesus. She wanted to love until it hurts. She hated publicity. She suffered the celebrity. But she accepted it if it was going to help the poor. When she smiled with the lines in her face, it was almost like an exclamation mark of joy. For Mother Teresa, there were no expendable people. Everyone has dignity and worth because everyone is made in the image of God. Lord, make me a channel of your peace. That where there is hatred, I may bring love. That where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light. Can't you just feel that in the one minute introduction. So to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. Today we're going to talk about the Christian hope. And since we have the children with us today, I have one of our special young ladies, one of my friends, Ariana Menjavar, is going to come read the scripture passage. So while she's coming up here, can you open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24? Right here. 
She's going to read Colossians chapter 1, 24 through 29, whenever you're ready, hon. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I love it. So good, hon. Hey, do you mind reading verse 27 one more time? To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. She's, she's so this generation, when she walked in today to do her sound check, I was expecting to see a, a piece of paper or an actual Bible. She's carrying an iPad. And I go, where, where do you have your scripture there? She goes, she goes, don't worry, I have an app. She goes, but it's okay. I also took a screenshot in case I lose it. So <laughs> just perfect. But what a passage. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, and that's you, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hope is an interesting word, isn't it? Hope is one of those words that we use to describe small, silly things, as well as big, important things. It's kind of like that word love. I love wasabi, and I love sriracha, and I love horseradish. I love anything that's hot and spicy, but I also love Malachi. Can I be that annoying grandparent and show you a picture of my grandson? We, we always hate it when grandparents do that, but when you're in charge of a room, you can get away with it. <clears throat> see, see I, I use the same word to describe my love for these other things, but when, when it shifts to him, it, it means something completely different, doesn't it? Um, last Sunday was my birthday, and I was hoping... <clears throat> I'm still alive. <laughs> I was hoping that it would be sunny and warm so we could go to the beach. Um, but last weekend, I also met with a young couple that was waiting for the results of a biopsy, and they were hoping that it wasn't cancer. Uh, not the same thing. Um, Romans 5.5 5 says that hope does not disappoint, but that's only true if we're hoping in the right things. So what is our hope? What actually is the promise that we can attach our hope to in God? See, I think we need to be reminded of what kind of hope the scriptures offer us. Because it's a, it's a tragic thing to attach your hope to something that isn't actually the offered hope. So I've been a Christian a long time, and I've been serving Christians for a long time, and I've seen a lot of Christians attach their hope to something that wasn't actually the Christian hope. And when you attach to the right hope, hope does not disappoint. But when you attach to something that isn't the right hope, hope disappoints. And, and it's a tragedy. Um, I knew a young man who was convinced that God wanted to bless him. This is kind of a churchy phrase. God wanted to bless him financially. 
God, he had heard all this teaching about how God wants to bless you and God wants to prosper you. And so this young man who was married, and he was married to a young woman who had a pretty significant physical disability. And he became convinced that God was going to supernaturally bless him and make him wealthy. And so he quit his job. And he just was spending all of his time praying, believing that God was going to bless him. And I counseled with him a couple of times, and I, I urged him away from that path. I said, listen, first of all, uh, the Bible says you have to work. The Bible tells you to provide for your family. Second of all, his wife, who had this physical disability, she was working. But, but he was convinced that this hope of this blessing and prosperity was from God. He sat on the sidewalk outside his house when people repossessed his possessions. His house went into foreclosure and they carried his stuff to the sidewalk. I was talking to a missionary couple that we've been friends with and supported for a long time in Kenya, in West, uh, East Africa. And they were telling me one of the biggest problems the church has in that part of Africa today is that the pastors have not had a, a lot of education opportunities. So the way a lot of the pastors have been taught is by listening to Christian radio from the United States. And a lot of what they're hearing on these radio programs is that, that Christian prosperity gospel. That's the, you know, Kyle was introducing us today to the idea of the gospel. By the way, did you love having Kyle back today? It was so fun to see Kyle back here. Kyle is actually doing a night of worship tonight at Glendora Community Church at 7 o'clock. So if you want to worship with him some more, he'll be doing that this evening. But, but he was talking about the gospel and the cross and the sacrifice and the grace. The prosperity gospel is the gospel that says, since God loves you unconditionally, he wants to bless your life in every way. He wants to make you rich. These pastors in Kenya have absorbed that message, and that's what they're teaching these terribly poor, um, un undeveloped uh, people in, in, undeveloped, in the undeveloped country. And so when I've been to Kenya several times, they're actually in a lot of these churches, there's a whole, there are tables filled with all of these envelopes. And based on whatever you're wanting in your life, you can put money in the envelope and that's your, your by faith, I'm going to give money because if I give, God will give me more money. So if my kid is struggling, I'll find the prodigal child envelope and give an offering because God's going to bless my life. And there's this whole kind of dysfunctional framework that, that isn't the Christian hope. Yes, God wants to bless your life. Yes, God has promised to take care of you. Yes, we have promises, but it, it's pretty important that we identify what the Christian hope actually is. It's a tragedy to attach the hope because hope is so vulnerable. Hope is one of those interesting things. It's, it's vulnerable enough that, that anything can snuff it out. It's also powerful enough that it can survive a Holocaust and it can survive incredible tragedy. We have to attach our hope to the right promise. So what is the Christian hope? What is it that we're actually promised in this life of faith? Colossians 1.27 is one of the most important verses that we could hold on to when we're thinking about hope and the promise. It tells us very precisely what the Christian hope is. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Christian hope, the Christian promise is that when you yield your life to God, God will activate a process of making you increasingly like Jesus. The Christian hope is Christ-likeness. He will bless you in other ways. He will do great things. He will surprise you and shock you, and you'll have moments of awe and wonder and mystery. But the promise, the foundational promise that all the other promises rest on is that God wants to make you like Jesus. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, I thought the hope was heaven or eternity or eternal life. I officiated a memorial service this week for Carol Morales. It was amazing. It's so fascinating getting to a memorial service. You learn so much about people. There were over 200 people, all family and friends. She was just this sweet lady. She always would kiss me on the cheek whenever I I, I saw her. So when I started the, the memorial service, I, I read the verse where the scripture says to greet one another with a holy kiss. And I said, how many of you have ever been kissed by Carol? Every hand, 200 hands went up in the room. But I sat in this service just saying, wow, what a life. And so I know sometimes we think, well, isn't the hope heaven or eternity? And, and yes, but, but think about this with me. If that is part of the hope, something has to happen to us because heaven is God's home. And so to fit in God's home, something needs to happen to us so we fit there. You you can't live in a certain home or a country or a kingdom unless you fit the citizenship or the culture of that place. Um, Citizenship requires certain things. See, there are certain things that, that wouldn't fit in my home. There are some things that I wouldn't tolerate in my family. I I wouldn't let somebody come to my home and gossip about you. I wouldn't let someone harm another person in my home. That's inconsistent with being a Jackson. Some things don't fit in the kingdom of God, so they need to be removed from our lives. Other things flourish in the kingdom of God, and so those things need to be added to our lives. See, there are certain things that are native to certain countries. Palm trees don't flourish in the Colorado Rockies. I never saw a grove of eucalyptus trees in the mountain when I lived in Colorado Springs. There are some things that flourish and thrive in different places. Some things are native to certain soils. And the only things that thrive in God's kingdom are things that look like Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus said these words. He said, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And when it says that that person is not fit for service in the kingdom, that doesn't mean that once you start following God, you can never have a doubt. That doesn't mean you can't occasionally question your life and is this worth it? And it doesn't mean you can't struggle. Here's what it means. It means if, if, if you and I are characterized by a wishy-washiness in our faith, if we're characterized by something that the Bible calls double-mindedness, that quality doesn't fit in the kingdom of God. 
So to live fully in your destiny in God's kingdom, that quality or that trait would need to go because Christ's kingdom looks like Christ. The kingdom of God is Christ-likeness externalized and universalized, which means wherever people are becoming more like Jesus, wherever relationships are becoming more like his way of relating, wherever countries are embracing things that his kingdom values, the kingdom of God is spreading. Where injustice is corrected, where new beginnings are launched, God's kingdom is expanding, and that's Christ-likeness externalized and universalized. And if the world embraced it, our problems would go away overnight. Um, but but, but let, let me read one verse to you just to defend this premise that the Christian hope and your greatest promise is Christ-likeness. Why don't you quickly turn to Romans 8, verse 28. Romans 8, 28 is, is a, it's a double-edged scripture verse. It's kind of comforting and kind of infuriating. It says, we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's a pretty amazing promise, that in all things, good, bad, tragic, indifferent, mundane, profound, in all things, God is working to bring good. It's infuriating when you're in the middle of a horrendous situation and somebody quotes this to you as if this makes that situation better. It doesn't. This doesn't mean all the bad stuff becomes good. It means in all the bad, he is promising to work for the good. But then it says that those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's becoming more like Jesus. So that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This verse applies to you. You came into this world prepackaged with a destiny. You are not here by accident. You are loved more than you could ever imagine. God wanted you here. You know, you may have come into this world because of a one-night stand with your parents. You may have come into this world because of a traumatic sexual experience between your parents. You may have come into this world to parents who couldn't wait to have you and they were so excited, but none of those things go back far enough to define your origin and your beginning and why you're actually here. In Jeremiah 1.5, God spoke to the young prophet, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I had a destiny and a purpose and a plan for you. There, there was a before, before your before. You have a before that extends further back than your before. Before you were born, God had a purpose for you. And that purpose was to grow and mature you into the nature of Jesus. You might become renowned in your profession. You might have an amazing family. You might accomplish some really great things in your life, but none of those things are your destiny. Your destiny is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. I was not destined to be a pastor. Um, in my bad moments, I think, what in the world am I doing with my life? And in my good moments, I think, man, I was born for this. 
but, but I wasn't actually born for this. I was born to become more like Jesus. And for whatever reason, being a pastor was the way that my life would be shaped and have an impact that would lead to that end of me becoming more like Jesus. And that's what your hope is. God has promised that no matter what happens in your life, he will use all of it to make you more like Jesus. Now, it's a process. In fact, the process of becoming like Jesus is kind of like a sketch. When an artist starts with a sketch, you don't know exactly what they're drawing at first. For instance, I am not an artist, but I was sitting at my little, in my little workspace the other day, and I, I sketched a picture of Mickey Mouse. And so here's a, a, a drawing that I did of Mickey. I'm not a great artist, but you can, you can kind of tell. If, if I hadn't said Mickey Mouse, you would have kind of known that that was Mickey, right? It's, it's at least the beginnings of it. That, that's not anything close to the, orig- or the, the finished product. I mean, I mean, that's Mickey Mouse. That's from Disney World itself. But you can see the beginnings of it. One of, one of the exciting things of the Christian life is to begin to see the outline forming in us. And, and I know sometimes we don't see a lot of the finished product in a person's life. And we tend to judge people based on the finished product instead of where they are in the journey. In fact, I'll tell you a quick story. I was at LA Fitness uh, several years ago, and there were these two guys in the locker room, and I, it, it was like watching a Netflix show. It was like F word every other, I mean, they, just so much profanity, and it was mildly entertaining, and um, irritating. But, but as the conversation went on, one of them said, um, yeah, I'm going to be singing in my church's choir this year at <laughs> Christmas. And, and I, I looked up and, and I said, well, what church do you go to? <laughs> he goes, Purpose Church. <laughs> I was so glad he didn't say grace or baseline. <laughs> but I got all judgy. And I sat there thinking, man, what a hypocrite. And, and, but then when I left, the thought just came to me, I have no idea where he started. And he might be a million times better than he was when he began the process. And when we realize that you don't pray a prayer and magically become, it's not like Star Trek. You don't get beamed into a whole new dimension. It's a process. It's a promise that the closer you walk, the closer you follow, the more the outline gets sketched. And over time, we look more and more like him. When I was in high school, I got super bored in my computer science class, so I started practicing drawing my teacher, Mr. Noble. And here's a sketch I did. <laughs> I did that the other day, too. And he actually looked like that. Like, if, if there was a cartoon of Richard Noble, it would be that. But, but the real flesh and blood actual person is so different. Um, in, in every situation in your life, God is adding to the sketch the good times, the bad times, the mundane times. His goal is to transform you into the finished product and, and to make you a person who, who radiates faith, love, and hope, who's animated by a character and a way of living that's, that's completely different from the world around us and yet brings a hope to the world around us. And listen, that's an amazing promise. Because when you grow in Christ-likeness, several other things happen. Just look up at the screen here. Um, look at what happens when we grow in Christ-likeness. I won't expound on these, but these are true. 
And any of us who have lived this life and are seeing the sketch increase in us, we know that when we become like Christ, we become the real us. You will become the real you. You have that promise in the Christian hope. You will be happier. You're happier the more like Jesus you become. You'll be more secure. The more I become like Jesus, and and I'm nowhere near, but the more I become, the more confident I am. I have far fewer insecurities than when I started this thing. Your relationships will improve. The, The closest people to you are waiting for you to become more like Jesus. Your relationships will improve. You will carry a greater sense of purpose and destiny because you'll be living why you came into the world. You were predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. You will become increasingly free from the hurts, hangups, and habits in your life. Listen, be patient with yourself. We have to embrace a strange tension when it comes to our issues and our dysfunctions and our sins. On the one hand, we need to be so fierce and passionate that we never stop trying to get better On the other hand, it's a process. So you need to continually strive to be better and also be patient with yourself when you struggle. Nobody goes from point A to point B in a straight line. The Christian life, the Christ-likeness process is more like up and down and forwards and back and a dip and an up. And so, so if your life is moving up and over, then just be patient with the dips and the false starts and the forward and the back. But number seven, you'll become a voice of hope. The human soul runs on hope, but we have to make sure that it's attached to the right kind of hope. And listen, this understanding can rescue people's faith. I know Christians that are about to throw in the towel because God hasn't done the big miracle that they've been praying for. God hasn't changed this dynamic of my life, so I don't even know if I believe this stuff anymore. If we tell people, put your hope in a gigantic miracle, some people will be really happy. Some people will be very disappointed. But if we tell people, hang your hope on God's promise to never leave you, never stop working in your life, never stop helping you become like Jesus, we're going to have a much less disappointed church. And we're going to have people that say, you know what? He's working in my life. And when it's all said and done, wow. I have been blessed. I have been prospered. It has been good. Kyle, let me have um, the worship team rejoin me. Listen, when the hope of glory, when Christ-likeness is increasingly at work in us, everything begins to change. It's a tragedy to think of these beautiful people in Kenya waiting to get rich because they think that's the promise in Christianity. But, but I wonder what would have happened in their lives if people had been telling them, your promise is Christ-likeness. See, if you become more like Jesus, you'll probably be a better worker because you'll do your work as if it was worship to God. If you become more like Jesus, your relationships will improve because you'll be more humble. You'll be more loving. You'll be more gracious If Christ-likeness is growing in you, you'll become more confident, which means you'll be ready to take opportunities when they present themselves to you. And so actually, over time, you probably will be blessed and you will be prospered. And at the very least, you'll look back and say, wow, this faith has changed my life. It's made me better. It's made me um, full. 
it's made me a, a hope for the world. We want to live by faith. We want to be known by love, and we want to be a voice of hope. We want to be fueled and animated by something transcendent from the world around us. And that process starts the more we engage with the process and the promise of becoming more like Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. Listen, there is no one in any other world religion in human history who ever claimed to be coming for you. And that's not a a Christian bias. That's academic fact. There is no one else on the field of human history who has ever claimed to love you with a nuclear level of love and who backed that up by giving his life away and then added a promise to that of new life and new hope. Um, Let's become, let's be more like the one that we love. Why don't you stand with me?